Welcome to The Barkside, Veterinary Business and Leadership Unleashed, where we empower veterinary business owners and professionals like you to advance your private practice by leveraging the tools and strategies of big corporations. Welcome to The Barkside. I'm Ivan Zank, and I'm excited today to talk with Gerardo about the leap of the veterinarian that wants to transition from the veterinarian that works for someone to the business owner and what motivates people and uh, what are the challenges and unforeseen challenges that people may bump into. Gerardo, good to see you. Hey man, it's been a while since we chat, but this is an awesome topic because it's in the minds of even vet students. Vet students think about this, where they're going to go with their careers, what they're going to do. They hear veterinarians, experienced veterinarians talking about the potential, even monotony of the role. And then they try to plan, they they try to plan forward and create this picture, this kind of outcome of where they want to go. I remember when I was in third year, I felt I I was destined to become a business owner. I don't know about yourself. Did you have thoughts like that or? I think there's actually like different flavors of, of vets and vet students, as well as the different phase of their development. I remember that I, I was very fascinated with the actual medicine, the process of investigating the diseases. I wanted to be this major sort of scientist. Uh, and then we had a lecture. I think it was a short rotation in the fourth year from uh, John Tate, who is a brilliant, brilliant businessman and the veterinarian from Ontario. And the only thing that I understood in two weeks is that I'm completely screwed if I want to do business because I have no idea what he was talking about. So that, that was my experience. But I, I think there is certain vets that want to dive into it. There's certain that don't think about it, but then they're a couple years out and they want to do it. And then there's, you know, there's kind of different shades in between. So, but, but what do you think motivates when you are at that stage, or if you are that person at that stage, what does motivate people uh, besides the obvious, but what are, what are those things that people start thinking, okay, I want to be a business owner? Like well, in tell you, like my personal thoughts were all about financial security. Financial security in, in a sense that 15 years ago in Australia, we didn't earn enough as a new graduate veterinarian to afford anything. So I didn't necessarily want to specialize, but this was an avenue that I felt that I could generate enough revenue or enough income to support a family by a house. But I've been doing business coaching for a while now, talking to business owners. Somewhat I feel that the desire or the motivation to start a business or to go into business or to go into business ownership stems from this feeling of security and the the feeling of freedom. I don't know if you've ever spoken to people before, business owners before, they, it's the cycle of I'm in a business, I'm working, I'm good at this, I know how to do this. The freedom to create something that there that is theirs, create a style of medicine that is theirs, create a team that is theirs, create a particular culture or create something that is theirs. But what it creates what they're looking for is this thing, this entity, this business, which will create them freedom from having to do this forever, in a sense. I think, so I like where you went with this, though. I think you touched on several things, and I love uh, Daniel Pink and the book called The Drive, and he's talking about three things uh, that professionals, especially intellectual workers, uh, thrive, the environment that they thrive in, and it's when they have autonomy, mastery, and purpose combined in one work environment. And I think that one of those things that you touched on is the 
ability to have autonomy in what you do, how you do it, how you practice medicine. So, so financial reward is something on the back of their mind, but I think a lot of people want autonomy and want to stop doing, especially if things that they're asked to do are stupid, uh, which I, for some reason, faced at every job I worked in. So I'm unemployable. I just do the stupid <laughs> things myself. No one asks me. They tell me not to do, and I still do the stupid things. Yeah. But then, but then there's also what you said, the need to lead. So people get to the point where they want to become leaders and they want to pass on something. They want to nurture the culture. They want to bring, you know, they want to establish a culture. So I think there's this, there's financial, there's leadership opportunities, there's autonomy. But I think that those are good topics to probably dive into one at a time and say, where do they fail? And once you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to be a leader and business person mm. and I'll have all the autonomy. So so which one of those you want to tackle and say, okay, well, without knowing what you're diving into, this is where it's easy to not succeed in this. Well, I'll, I'll tell two things. Think when it comes to autonomy, if they don't do business right, and I'm not the person who says that I did business right the first time, but I feel like I'm doing it right better this time, is that if not done right, business does not create autonomy in a sense that it becomes this ball and chain that you drag around in your mind day in, day out. And this ball, this lead weight is this burden that is the business. And then when it comes to mastery, I think they have this misconception that they're a master at clinical, they're master at medicine or surgery. Then the leap to business is just this natural progression, but it's a completely different area of mastery. And then just not prepared for that. What about yourself? Well, I, I love what you said about autonomy because that is becoming, when you think that, okay, I'm going to do everything myself, that's not really a definition of autonomy. You actually put more things on yourself and then you're giving away your freedom. But the mastery, I, I totally agree with you, not only with the veterinarians that are like, okay, I'm this amazing surgeon or I'm, you know, I'm internal medicine specialist or this or that. And then I'm going to be great at management or leadership or business. That is completely different concept. And it's like many, many people, I'm sure they've seen it. They take the amazing technician or nurse depending where you're in the world and then they're saying okay so your next step or technicians think that your next step in career is to become a manager and this is how i think erroneously our industry is labeling the next phase of development of technician is becoming a manager and then you take amazing technician and you're making a terrible manager out of that person there are you know cases of success and there you know there's hundreds of them maybe thousands but but it is difficult to say okay you're amazing at you know placing epidural catheters therefore you're good to lead people and it's usually not the case so yeah that's that's what my experience has been well i think it comes back to this leadership thing right because when you create this entity this business you become this swiss army knife right you are a sharp blade that was great at medicine or great at communication and stuff then all of a sudden you start to add these extra tools to your tool belt which is like a toothpick or some kind of pair of scissors that you could use these tools but they're actually not that great so and then also this need for security financial security so you take on everything and in, in the drive to make the business profitable. But then when you take on everything, because you have this perception that I should be able to do this, I have done other stuff before. I've got so many lists of accomplishments that mean that I am confident, that I am great, that I can do this. It's almost this trap. I don't know how else to explain it. It's a trap that they step into and they just take on too much burden there's too much burden and they don't recognize well at least maybe they don't want to admit that they need help earlier and they need support earlier and there's this certain level of pride where they don't want to everyone like when, when someone announces they're going to make business almost immediately 15 people say don't do it 
but then they choose to do it. It's almost an act of defiance and they want to prove these people wrong. These people said no or didn't believe in them or whatever. And in doing so, they kind of don't want to admit they need help because they're too proud to ask. Let me give you an example. So, so I recently started doing some ER shifts just locally to see, you know, what's the local market and what the vets are like, and just to get my hands, you know, dirty again. And, uh, and it's interesting that I'm seeing that in this hospital here. So, so successful veterinarian owner of two general practices opening the ER hospital. And I joined when the, the culture was thriving. They were actually, you know, everybody's united. It's a new facility. He charismatic leader. You know, he got everybody gathered around him, but there's no structure. So you can drive on charisma only certain amount of time. And then beyond that, you need structure. You need accountability. You need core values. You need purpose and mission of the organization. And Processes. then as you his processes, systems, and as he started to step out of it, now he's not in the building anymore, things crumble and he can't understand why. Because all of a sudden, I was doing the shifts and I was with the people, people like me, and as I step out, people should self-manage, but they're not. So what do you think, like, does that resonate with you? Have you seen that before? Oh, definitely. And I've even seen it in you know, my own business that I've started. Like, you just become this funnel. You're the, the bottleneck, you're the catalyst for the business to start, but at the same time, without you being the catalyst, nothing happens. And whether or not it's because of there's just too much to do and you don't get around to creating the systems and protocols or whether or not you just don't see them as needed or you weren't aware, but mostly I believe it's because you don't create the space. You're not vulnerable in a way, vulnerable to ask for help, but then also vulnerable in a way where people can contribute ideas towards you because you're the business owner, you should make all the decisions. It's this, this perception that you're in charge, it's your baby. The amount of times I've heard people say, oh, it's my baby, I've created this. This possessive thing around the business is actually what stops them from ever letting it go. Well, yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and the other thing that I'm seeing, and, and it's interesting when you're looking at it from the outside and, and trying to analyze what's actually happening, but, but what I'm seeing that is happening is that you don't know what you don't know. And then if you're stepping from being a veterinarian and becoming a business owner, you've run it only a certain way, and all of a sudden your team is now not five people, but 50 people then how do you pass on the culture that you're not present for certain interviews? How do you make sure that everybody who you hired and show them how to put the catheter, how to triage the patient, how to do all of those things, they will be done exactly the same way when you're not in the building. How do you replicate the model and how do you scale that? And that is, I think, is the biggest mistake of veterinarians that they that they establish a certain thing and they think, well, I showed them once, they all should do it the same way. And then one person shows another person, the third person, and it's a completely different process. And along the way, they adopt their own things and what they brought in. And it becomes this chaos of accumulation of, you know, no process establishment. No. And, and all of that sounds for probably listeners. And it's like, oh, yeah, it sounds really corporate because I haven't worked for and with corporate. But that is sort of the balance between the corporate medicine, call it with the dirtiest word. And then when you look at the complete potential chaos, when you're running without any processes, you really want to be somewhere in that middle point where it's the balance between not too much bureaucracy, but at the same time systematization, and then also the, uh, the culture behind it. The culture of the, the, the freedom to, for these individual team members to contribute, to have autonomy, to, but they also need somewhat guidance, right? And 
what I think is important and without trying to dive into business master plans and business strategies, but you kind of touched on something there, which was about you're one person and you've taught people what to do and then you kind of expect them. So I think the key word is, is this expectation that we have and that I've had as, as, a, as a business owner, the expectation that I have had on or of my team members or of the, of the, the people that I've employed but haven't communicated the expectation. And culture is a, is a really powerful tool in terms of culture is the actions. It's the way that people speak. It's the, it's the way that people behave, but ultimately culture is around expectations. How do Ivan, you expect your team to rock up? How do you expect the team to perform? What expectations do you have around the results? And in the time that I've known you in the times that I've, you know, in the discussions we had, I, I feel that what you've done well is set really clear expectations, expectations on the outcomes, expectations of the behaviors and actions. But what's your thoughts? Like, is that something you purposely have done? Because I'm somewhat less structured until I've started to spend more time with you, with Galaxy. And one of the first things I did was define culture and core values for the team. Yeah, no, I appreciate that comment. And what with same way as, as you, I, I stumbled upon this when we were building SmartFlow. When we went beyond 30, I, I remember it was like 32 people when I realized that the wheels are coming off and I just don't know where it is. Things are not, you, you feel like you're running at a hundred miles an hour, but you're not advancing forward. You're just like running in circles. And that's where you need to, to actually start creating the structure behind the thing, because you can manage up to 30 people with a very flat structure when it's you and a bunch of people that you know, you're a closed circle, the core values are, and basically it's who you are. You arrange people around you. As soon as you get to that vertical, uh, sort of spread when you're now creating teams of teams. So now you you were one team, now you have teams of teams. This is where you can't really disseminate the culture where you need to record it. And it's it's all the core values. And again, it, it will sound a little bit, you know, corporate-y, but the, the point of every, anytime people say core values, many vets will roll their eyes because they imagine that, you know, this is a corporate written on the wall on the business card and nobody ever uses it, but you have to use that with intent. And the intent of using core values is actually that filter with which you set expectations on certain values. So I don't care what music you listen, I don't care what food you eat, what it's ethnicity, gender, whatever you are, but if we agree on integrity, if we agree on sense of humor, if we agree on continuous development, if we agree on seeing the big picture and the founder's mindset, those are the core values in, in Galaxy. So you can do whatever you want, but if we agree on these five things, then we could be on the same team. So once you define that, you know that you can find people, hire people, articulate that that's the filter that we're looking through, and then you can maintain the relationship and where there's a dispute, you go back to these, and then you can kind of reformat it. So I think that that's the fundamental thing. And that's, it's not even taught in business school. I've done an MBA and it was a total disaster because I thought, okay, I'll do the business education, which will teach me how to do a business person. They've done none of that. <laughs> like it's, I actually think it's a complete waste of time because I didn't see any of this taught in, in business school. I haven't seen this in the vet school. I don't even know where they teach this stuff, but essentially if you don't establish that initial filter through which you know my expectations, I, I know your expectations, we can work together because we know that those five fundamentals, what we need to adhere to mm. and it's workable. Core values is what, what you're describing there is the, the, the deeper, more purposeful um, use of the core values. Most businesses and business owners think, okay, we've got a list of core values. 
let's drill them home, you know, but then they don't think about really creating the picture of what this core value looks like in action in the practice, right? How does integrity look like it's turning up on time? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's working the shift that you're getting paid to work. How does having a, the founder's mindset is, is, is ownership of your role and the impact that it has on the business as a whole and the financial health of the business. And when you dive deep, when you, when you, when you view core values as more than just this tick box a business needs to have, because it's kind of the thing that some guy in a business book, you know, said 20 years ago, but it actually becomes the framework by which you act and behave. Then it also becomes this framework about how you decide. And if the core values permeate through all levels of the organization, then the business decides where to head in times of crisis in alignment with the core values. That means then the leaders decide what happens in what situation in alignment with the core values. Then the team feel like as if they are aware, aware of what's going to happen if something happens. It's almost like they can predict and they feel comfortable because they know they can predict and, and they, you know, the uncertainty is less. Where did you come across core values? Um, it was, uh, when we defined them first time in SmartFlow, it was, so that source, uh, is the company that is, that has many aspects right now, but at that point they were a little younger and we were at veteran innovation summit and someone told me, Hey, we're using this traction methodology, so you should look into it. And, and it was just a random book. And I try to read all the books that are recommended, not since we started innovation podcast, because there's a book recommendation every week. <laughs> I just can't catch up with them. Yeah. Uh, at least now they started to cycle a little bit. Some books I have read. Um, and, uh, but it was traction. It was traction by Gina Wickman and the, the word core values I've heard many times, but the way they articulated it into methodology and how to extract the core, core values is not something that I will imagine laying in bed late night and come in and say, our core value is this. This is not the case. The core value is something that your team already has and you can unite around. And there's a really cool methodology which is incorporated into traction. How do you actually not come up with core values, but how do you extract the core values from your team and then develop the culture that everybody can align around it? And how about you? Where did you bump into the core values and the, that aspect of strategy? Same book, man. Traction. Before traction, I thought I was... No, I just had so many misconceptions about how good I was. But then before traction, I thought we had a high performing or a, a progressive forward moving business. But then this is our emergency hospitals. But then when we started to implement traction, first of all, I was completely against it. It was like, oh my God, here we go. Here we go. Blah, blah, blah. But then once we, about a year in, we started to see progress. Tra traction would have to be, I think for me, one of the fundamental books that um, has made the biggest impact on my business acumen growth and leadership and professional development because it's all about alignment alignment of people and clarity and i think with many business owners when they step into the world of business ownership especially for the first time they they're there they're there and they can speak it all the time because they're always in but once they want to step away there's no clarity there's no alignment there's no boundaries which something like or business framework like traction can provide then everything starts to fall apart totally uh, well, I think we're getting close to the 20, 25 minute mark. And I think that we should keep it in a bite size for the listeners. What I want to dive in next time, we talked about core values and that's a part of the strategy. I think it would be cool to unpack something that we've discussed in the past, the three P and three S structure that actually can guide any business owner as the fundamental framework of how to think about the business because strategy is actually, and this is a teaser that I'm going to leave in this episode, strategy is step two. There is step number one that people need to think about when they're about to 
to start the business. And we'll talk about it in the next episode. 